following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Acts chapter 20, verse 17 to 38. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and of faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among who I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing, you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. During the first lockdown, we started on this new series in the book of Acts. And we worked through some of Acts during the first lockdown, and then we kept working on it over the next few months while we were together. And now that we're in lockdown too, we're going to keep going in the book of Acts. And my hope is that this series can provide something of an anchor for us in the changing times that we're living in and provide some continuity for our church when a lot is changing around us. And as I looked at this message today, and this passage that we're up to in the book of Acts today, which is chapter 20, uh, the message that I plan to bring, I think, is just so timely for this particular moment that uh, we're living in, because what I wanted to share about today is the nature of the gospel, and this question of what is the gospel. And as many of you know, the word gospel means good news. Good news, and isn't that what our world needs at the moment with so much bad news that's going on? Bad news as our world keeps reeling from the effects of COVID-19 and bad news that COVID is back in the community 
in New Zealand and, and we're just full of all of this bad news. And in the midst of that, we need to hear more than ever the good news of the gospel. And so this is such a timely word for us today, I think, as we unpack what the gospel means, what it meant for Paul in his context, and what it means and how the gospel is still good news for us and still good news for our world today. So I want to look at this question of what is the gospel coming out of this passage in Acts 20. And in this context, Paul is talking with the elders of the church in Ephesus, and he's gathered them together before he he leaves, and he gives them some final words, some final reflections on his time in Ephesus. And at the heart of what he says here are these words in verse 24. He says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And those two words, good news, they're just one word in Greek. It's the word euangelion, and we translate that as gospel. And gospel, I think, is one of those words that most Christians know that it's supposed to be in their vocabulary somewhere, like it's part of our faith language. We're just not always sure on exactly what it means. We can be a bit fuzzy on what the word gospel means and and, and how it's supposed to affect our lives. I think for some Christians, the gospel, they think of the gospel as a series of steps that we need to take in order to become a Christian, a process for becoming a Christian. Uh, other people think of the gospel as justification by faith. That's, that's the gospel. That's it. Uh, for other people, maybe it's John 3.16. And, and that verse summarizes the gospel for them. People think about this in different ways. Uh, and I'd encourage you to think about if, if someone asked you to define the gospel in just one sentence, could you do it? Uh, or what would you say? What, what is the heart? What is the essence of what we're talking about when we talk about the good news? The gospel. Well, I want to look at this today and and unpack this in in a few different ways. The first thing we need to understand about the gospel is that fundamentally, the gospel is an announcement. The gospel is an announcement. I think sometimes we think the gospel is something that we've got to do, something that we are required to take these steps or do these things or pray this prayer. And of course, the gospel does call us to respond We are called to respond, and we'll talk about that. But primarily, the gospel is not something we do. It's not something that that requires an action from us. It is something that has already happened. The gospel is an announcement of something that God has already done. And in fact, that word, gospel, when it's used in the Bible, when it's used in the Old Testament, it sometimes means an announcement of a military victory. It can sometimes be used in that way, not in a specifically religious way. But for example, in in 2 Samuel 18, there's this passage where a messenger comes to King David. And he says, King, hear the good news. In other words, hear the gospel. This is the announcement. And the announcement is that your army has won a victory. And because they've been victorious, your kingship is still secure. Your throne is still secure. And so David receives this good news. In a sense, David receives the gospel. And so when we think about the gospel, we want to think of it in the context of an announcement. This is news. It is something to declare. It is something to proclaim. It is something that is true whether or not we believe it, uh, whether or not we respond to it. It is still true, a true statement of something that has already happened. And so then the question is, what is this announcement? What is the gospel announcing that has happened? And I want you to think of the gospel like 
a three-legged stool. Think of a stool with three legs, and each of those three legs is important for the stool to be able to stand upright, for people to be able to place their weight on the stool. So this announcement of the gospel, it has three parts to it, three parts to this announcement, and each of them are equally important. The first part of the announcement is that Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Savior. And this is fundamental to the gospel. Let me read you a passage where Paul describes this gospel that he has been commissioned to preach. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you have received, and on which you have taken your stand. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. And so Paul, when he starts explaining the gospel, the first thing he says is Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. The first part of the gospel is that Christ has died for our sins as our savior. That is at the heart of our faith. That is at the heart of the gospel, that Jesus has lived and died. And in his death, he has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. He has taken our sin upon himself, our brokenness upon himself. And he has died for it, to pay for it, to absorb it, and to carry it away so that we could be reconciled to God. That's what we mean when we talk about Jesus as our Savior. And you can see this even in the way that Paul talks about the gospel in Acts chapter 20. He describes it as the gospel of grace or the good news of God's grace. So those words gospel and grace, they really go together. The good news is the good news of grace. And grace just means God's unmerited favor. It's his undeserved favor that has been poured into our life. His forgiveness, his love, his adopting us into his family and drawing us in to be his children. These are the gifts of God's grace, his love, his mercy. Not gifts that we deserved, not gifts that we've done anything to earn, just free unrestricted gifts of God's grace. And all of these are given to us. God's grace is given to us because Jesus is our Savior. He is the Savior of humanity. And that is true whether or not we respond to that in faith. Christ is Savior. That's an accomplished fact. And the gospel simply announces that reality, that Christ is the Savior of the world. So you could think of that as being the first leg of the stool, the first leg of the gospel stool. I think part of the problem is that for many Christians, that's the only leg of the stool. That's the only thing they think about when they think about the gospel. It's just Jesus saves me. Jesus saves me from my sin. Well, that's vital, but that's not all. There is more to the gospel. There's a second and third leg. Now, the second leg of the gospel is that Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Let me read to you from this announcement in Luke chapter 2. And this is where the angel announces to the shepherds in Bethlehem the birth of Jesus. And the angel says in verse 11, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. So there's Savior. That's the first leg of the gospel. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So you have in there that word Messiah. And Messiah really just means king. When you hear the word Messiah... Messiah Jesus, Jesus Messiah, just think King Jesus. That's what we're saying. And this is part of the gospel, the announcement that Jesus is the King, Jesus is the Messiah. 
And this idea of Messiah, it has its roots deep back in the Old Testament, all the way back to King David, when God promised David that from him would come a ruler, from David's own family, there would be one of his descendants who would sit on his throne and would rule over his kingdom, would rule over all, and would establish this enduring, eternal, unending, indestructible kingdom upon the earth in the line of David. He would be a king greater than David. He would be a king greater than Solomon. This was the promise of the Old Testament. And God gave that promise to the prophets and they spoke of who this Messiah would be. And and Israel for hundreds of years was expecting this great Messiah to come. And so when Jesus comes along and one of the first words out of his mouth in his ministry, he says, repent and believe the good news. That's the gospel. The kingdom is near. And so Jesus declares that he is the one who is bringing the kingdom. He's bringing the kingdom of God. Jesus comes as the Messiah of Israel to establish the kingdom of God on earth. Sometimes I think we we imagine that Jesus just kind of drops out of heaven as if he could have come to any old time, any old place, any old people. But the idea of Jesus as Messiah reminds us that Jesus came in the flow of a story. He stepped into the flow of a story that was already going on, been going on for a long time. And he was the, the, the culmination of that story, the great climax of that story, and the one who then carried the story forward as the promised king of Israel, the one who came to bear the kingdom of God and and bring about that kingdom upon the earth. And so when we confess that Jesus is Messiah today, that's what we're saying. He is the king, the true king who brings about God's kingdom. He brings about God's kingdom in the world. And that's happening today. Jesus is still bringing about the kingdom of God in our midst Today, we don't see it in all of its fullness. Sometimes it can be hard to pick up, but it's there. We get little tastes and glimpses of God's kingdom. Even now, the fact that that you're watching this and wherever you are in your home, Jesus is there. He is present with you and by his spirit, he is building his kingdom. He's building his kingdom among us even as we gather. God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the kingdom. Wherever we see that, we see Jesus at work. We are seeing a part of the gospel. So the gospel includes this proclamation, this announcement, that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised king of Israel, the one who brings about the kingdom of God. Then there's a third leg to the stool. And the third leg is the announcement that Jesus is Lord. Now that is the earliest confession that the first Christians made. Very early on in the church, this was really the fundamental primary confession that you would make if you were a follower of Jesus. Jesus is Lord. That's the confession on which the church is is built. But I think when, when the first Christians said those words, when they said Jesus is Lord, they were meaning something a little bit different to what we mean by that today. When we say Jesus is Lord, we often mean Jesus is Lord of my heart. Jesus is Lord of my life. And of course, that's important. We want Jesus to be Lord of our lives individually. But when these early Christians said Jesus is Lord, they were thinking of something much bigger and much grander than that. Uh, Let me describe this in the words of Michael Bird. He says this, Nero did not throw Christians to the lions because they confessed that Jesus is Lord of my heart. It was rather because they confessed that Jesus is Lord of all meaning that Jesus was Lord even over the realm Caesar claimed, 
as his domain of absolute authority. You see, in other words, when these Christians said Jesus is Lord, they were making a big, bold proclamation. They were saying that there is no other ruler, no other leader, no other king, no other emperor who has the right to claim absolute authority over all people, over the earth, over creation, which is essentially what the Caesars in the New Testament in the first century were doing, claiming absolute authority over all people. And so when the first Christians said Jesus is Lord, they were by implication saying Caesar is not. Caesar is not Lord. There is no one else who has that claim to authority. That's a big claim. That's a very public claim to make. It's not just about my private world anymore. This is the declaration that Jesus is Lord of all. And there is no one, nothing else that we should bow the knee to. And there is nothing else that rivals the power of Jesus. So sometimes we talk about making Jesus Lord. I'm going to make Jesus Lord of my life. But in reality, we don't make Jesus Lord, do we? God the Father made Jesus Lord when he raised him from the dead and gave him authority over all things. And now Jesus reigns and he rules over all creation, over heaven and earth. He has all authority. He has all dominion. He has all power over all things. And he reigns as the world's true and rightful Lord. Now, again, it can be hard sometimes to see the reign of God. Things in the world seem chaotic. They seem confused. They seem turbulent as they do at the moment with COVID. But these are times we need to rest in the assurance of what we can't always see with our eyes, but we know in faith that Jesus is reigning and ruling over all. Jesus has power over all things. And that includes over all pandemic, over all plague, over all virus. Jesus has power even over COVID-19. Jesus is Lord of all. That means he reigns. That means we can look to him and we can entrust ourselves to him. We can rest in his care because we know he holds this world in his hands. He holds all things in his hands. He is on the throne. He is in control. We're going to be okay because Jesus has us in his arms and he is carrying us forward. There's a huge comfort, I think, that comes from making that confession that Jesus is Lord. We're resting in that. We're placing ourselves into his hands. So that's a big claim to make. Jesus is Lord. And it's part of what makes the gospel the gospel. So this is how we need to think of the gospel, this three-legged stool. It's the announcement that Jesus is Savior, Jesus is Messiah, and Jesus is Lord. All three of those parts of the announcement need to come together in order for the gospel to be the gospel. That was the gospel that, that Paul proclaimed. That was the gospel that Jesus proclaimed. There's no difference between the gospels of Paul and Jesus. And as we've worked through this book of Acts, I know we've used the gospel, the word gospel, many times. And we've talked about the gospel in culture. We've talked about the gospel in suffering. But we haven't really defined what it is. And so this is why I wanted to pause today and just deal with this issue head on of what is the gospel and understand that this is the fundamental announcement we're making when we talk about the gospel and we throw that word around, the announcement that Jesus is Savior, Messiah, and Lord. And just as that was good news in the first century, good news that Paul shared with the world, it's still good news today. And this is so important for us to hold to. I think the gospel is still good news for our world today. And it's good news that our world desperately needs to hear. Maybe at this 
moment in, in history, more than many other moments, our world needs to hear the church step forward with the good news. Because what, what has happened in our, in our culture, within Western culture particularly, over the last several hundred years, is the West has had its own version of the gospel, in a sense, its own secular gospel, its own humanistic gospel. And this, this kind of distorted gospel that Western culture has held on to is this good news, supposedly good news, that humanity, in and of ourselves, through our own resources and through our own capacity, can bring about a good world, can bring about a just world, can bring about human flourishing and human wholeness, and that we can do this ourselves. That's what's humanistic about the secular gospel. If we can just get the conditions right in society, if we can just get the right politicians elected, if we can just get the right educational system in place, if we can just get the science right, if we can just get the technology right, if we can just get the policies right, if we can just get the structure right, we will be able to lead towards, move towards a more just and peaceful, harmonious and flourishing society. We'll be able to bring in some sort of utopian vision of, of human progress and human flourishing. That's the secular gospel. That's the gospel the West has been following for hundreds of years since the Enlightenment. And I think in recent times, maybe even just in these last 20 years or so of the 21st century, that secular gospel has had more holes punched in it than ever before. I mean, we've had 9-11. We've had the global financial crisis. Now we've got COVID-19. And what has happened is that the secular story is looking more and more hollow. This idea of human progress, this myth of inherent human goodness leading to a more just and peaceful world, it's looking more hollow than it ever has before. Secularism is looking more empty. It's looking less stable than it has in a long, long time. The good news that the world has tried to manufacture is looking incredibly weak at this moment. And this is a time for the church to step forward. This is a time for Christians to step forward and say to the world, we've got the real good news. We've got the true gospel. It's not this kind of sham gospel that just believes in, in my own ability to bring about something better than what exists. This is not about us at all. This is a gospel that we receive from outside of ourselves. This is good news that, that comes to us from God. This is the announcement of who Jesus is and what he has done for us as an already accomplished fact that he is the savior of humanity, that he is the Messiah who brings God's kingdom, that he is the Lord who reigns over all. It's only in and through Jesus that we find real good news, and that good news is a gospel our world desperately needs to hear at the moment. I was reminded of this a few years ago when I visited Israel, and we talked to some Palestinian Christians who were grieving over what's happening in their own land in, in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. And at the time and continuing now, those are lands just plagued by such conflict, such hostility and such violence between Israelis and Palestinians. And to hear these Palestinian Christians say the only hope for their region is the gospel. The only real hope for, for their people and for their land is the gospel. And they were lamenting because so many Christians have left 
that part of the world and left these difficult regions, understandably because they're tough places to be. But they said, you know, the problem is the gospel is the only hope for real and lasting peace. They could see it. They could see it in their region. And what is true in Israel, in Palestine, and what was true in the Mediterranean world of the first century is just as true in 21st century New Zealand today. Only the gospel, only the good news about Jesus has real power, real power to bring about real change, deep change, lasting change within our culture, within our society, within our world. The gospel has the power. It's the good news that our world needs. And not only is the gospel good news for our world at a, at a macro level, the gospel is good news for every human person. The gospel comes right down to this individual personal level and it's good news for every individual man, woman and child. Because even though the gospel is an announcement, it is an announcement of what has already happened, but the gospel still calls us to respond. The gospel still calls forth a response from every person. And, and Paul knew this and that's why he called for this response. If you look back in Acts chapter 20 one more time, he says in verse 21, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And so Paul there is saying, I'm, I'm sharing the gospel with you. And alongside that gospel, I'm calling people to respond. And that, and that is a call that is given to you and given to me today. We're called to respond. Called to respond in two ways, repentance and faith. Those are the words Paul uses. And what that really means, quite simply, is that we turn away from our old life. It means turning away from this autonomous life, from this independence from God, where we just live a totally self-governed life. And it means turning toward God in faith. It means opening our hearts to God, opening our hearts to Jesus, looking to Him. And it means experiencing exactly what the gospel announces. It means looking to Jesus as our Savior and accepting His forgiveness. It means looking to Jesus as our Messiah and entering into his kingdom. And it means looking to Jesus as our Lord and submitting himself to, her, to him as, as our ruler, as our Lord. And as we do that, as we come to Jesus, we enter into relationship with him and we are reconciled to the Father through Jesus. I want to encourage you that that invitation of the gospel is available to you today. You've heard that announcement now. You've heard it through God's word and, and you've heard it through this explanation and maybe you've never responded to that good news or, or maybe you've never even heard that good news or you've never heard that kind of the fullness of that message. But I want to encourage you, God invites you to respond to that by opening your heart to him, by stepping into relationship with him, by becoming part of his family, by becoming part of his kingdom. That invitation is available to you today. And if you'd like to talk more about that, then we'd love to talk with you and correspond with you. You're welcome to get in touch with our church to do that. And let me just encourage you, if you are a Christian today and you have responded to the gospel, as many of you listening to this will have, that doesn't mean the gospel is not for you anymore. When I told uh, one of our elders this last week that I was preaching on the gospel, he texted me back and he said, he used to think or he'd been told that the gospel was just for the unsaved. It was just for non-Christians. But he said, I've, I've come to see that the gospel is for me. That the gospel is for Christians just as much as anyone else 
particularly Christians that have been Christians a long, long time. And maybe that's you. And maybe you've sort of felt like the gospel is something you can leave behind now that you're a Christian. The reality is we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to preach the gospel to our own hearts because we so quickly drift into this way of living where we try to be our own savior, our own Messiah, our own Lord. We need to come back to this reality that we are totally dependent upon Jesus and we look to him for our ongoing life, not just for our initial beginnings as a Christian. And in the midst of what we're going through at the moment, it's easy to be anxious. It's easy to be unsettled. It's easy to be nervous about what's happening and and we don't know exactly how everything's going to play out in our country and in our world. But these are times we need to hear the gospel again. Even those of us that have accepted it, we need to hear the gospel spoken to us again, that reminder that Jesus is the saviour of the world, that he is Lord, he is ruler, and he has us in his hands. So I want to encourage you, even if you're a Christian, learn to preach the gospel to yourself. Learn to preach the gospel to your own heart every day. Remind yourself of that good news. Remind yourself of the, the truly good news that you need to hear just as much as anyone else needs to hear it. So my prayer from this passage for you is that we would truly be gospel people, that our lives would be built on this truth. Our lives would be built and grounded in this announcement, that we would hear the gospel spoken to us from God's word, that we would live out the gospel every day, and that we would find the ways to share the gospel, to share it with others in our world and in our lives, and importantly, to share it with ourselves, our own hearts need to hear it too. May we be people of the gospel and may we offer this good news continually to a world that desperately needs to hear it. Let's pray. So Jesus, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news that's as true today as it was when you first stepped into this world. We thank you, Jesus, that in the middle of everything that's going on at the moment, all the uncertainties, all the questions that we have, all the unknowns that are out there for us, the things that are racing through our minds about life. We thank you, that Jesus, that this is truth, that this is the solid rock upon which we can stand, this truth that you are Saviour and Messiah and Lord. Jesus, I pray for every person watching this that you would allow that good news to sink into their hearts again today. And in the midst of whatever bad news we're experiencing, that you would help us to hold firmly to that good news. Lord Jesus, I pray that through it, you'd lift our spirits, you'd encourage us, you'd comfort us, and you'd challenge us to cling to you no matter what comes our way in life. We thank you for the good news that you've given us. We thank you that it is good news for us and good news for the whole world. We're grateful, Lord Jesus, that you have chosen to make this gospel known and make it real in our lives. We thank you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 0941504455. Thank you for listening.